Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So this week on the podcast, we have the wonderful Brian Gallagher. Brian is a stand-up. He's originally from Limerick. Uh, you're going to best know him um, from the Riff Raff Comedy Club, which he runs uh, weekly shows uh, across Dublin and Galway. Uh, as well as that, he's had hit shows at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, and we also work together on the Try channel, uh, one of Ireland's fastest-growing YouTube channels. If you're not already subscribed there, go check it out. There are some very, very, very funny people contributing to that on a regular basis and uh, lots of former guests of the show. So if if you like this show, you'll probably like that. Uh, in other news, guys, I am performing on stage in Dublin very soon uh, in the wonderful Belly Button Girl. Um, it's kicking off uh, May 14th to 18th at the New Theatre in Temple Bar. Uh, the show is 7.30. Uh, it's only 55 minutes long, so even if you hate it, you've barely wasted a night and uh, you're not going to hate it. It's a lot of fun. Um, tickets on sale at thenewtheatre.com. Um, you'll find all the details on all my social media at teamwar 93 and Squad Productions. Um, it's directed by the wonderful Romana Testaseca, Owen Lennon on the lights, Ursula McGinn on the set, uh, Tom Maher doing all our photography and press images, and my lovely brother, Ben Moran, who is taking care of our promo video that will be available this week. So um, please come and support. If you like this podcast, you'll probably like that play. Um, it's very close to my heart. It's uh, a drama wrapped within an awful lot of comedy. Uh, I'm very, very proud of it, um, and I think you'll like it. Uh, I can say that hand on heart, and if you don't like it, feel free to spit on me. Um, guys, what else? Oh, go check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash personality bingo. It's been getting a lot of love lately. Um, anything you can contribute our way makes a huge difference, whether um, that's just a once-off thing, whether you can contribute something on like a monthly basis, if it's a couple of euro. I know that sounds frivolous and like there's no point, honestly is it makes a huge difference for us uh, and look the fact that you even listen in and of itself is a huge deal but uh, anything you can do on that more tangible level makes the world a difference but um as always guys continue to spread the word and um, a great way to do that is just screenshot you listening to the episode itself on instagram pass it on to a friend uh, put it on your story whatever you think but um all that stuff really helps and um it's so appreciated so guys please enjoy the wonderful brian gallagher playing personality bingo with tom moran Brian Gallagher, ready to play Personality Bingo? Yes, excited to be here. Sweet, thanks for doing it. Um, so quick explanation of how it all works. I've got 60 minutes on the clock. I've got 60 balls in here and 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you a sheet of paper with five numbers on the paper. Would you do me a favour and read out the five? I will indeed. 11, yep. 22, right. 38, okay. 58, Oop. 17. Nice, okay. Do me another favour. Pick a sixth number, something between 1 and 60 that's not already there. 42. 42. Any reason? No. Just, just randomly decided 42 would be an easy question. Nice. <laughs> I hope I'm right. Let me have a read of it. Uh, it's a good question. I hope it comes up. I'd like to hear your answer. Have you ever killed a family member? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was only my sister. <laughs> she deserved it. And I should say, if all six of them do come out, that means the tables are turned and you get to ask me any question in the whole wide world and I'll give you a totally honest answer. Excellent. Deal. All right, let's do it. Okay, here we go. First out the gate. It's number three. Do you have it? Nope. No worries. Number three. Do you consider yourself a jealous person? Yes. 
Really? Yeah, I would be a jealous person. Mm. I, not in like a crazy like, you know, real green envy lunacy way, but more of a, I'll see something that somebody has that I would maybe feel is at the same level as me, maybe professionally or or in life or whatever, and I'll go, mm. how did they manage? How did this is? How? And I'm like that. I could easily but then i'm like i have to check myself i'm like that's you're being jealous now you're not like you know you've been a bit maybe you could easily s- stray into begrudgery if mm-hmm. you do that mm-hmm. but i uh, i just have to check it but i do tend to get very immediate my immediate reaction is often but they and i and i go oh, hang on a minute you need to just check that you know and i i'm conscious of it so i check it yeah but it is something i, I imagine if you didn't check it could easily become very consuming that you're jealous of other people and other people's achievements and stuff like that, you know? Totally. And, like, sometimes when I find myself in the moments where I catch something and I check it, and then I, I like, make the, like, intellectual decision and I'm like, okay, and yeah. I'm letting that jealousy yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, can you actually let it go or is it still there but, you, but you're just... Oh, it's like it's clinging to you, isn't it? Yeah, it's like yeah, It's yeah. like this, this entity and its hands are still on your shoulders and you're like, I'm just releasing it now and it's like, ah! And you're like, no, no, I'm actually releasing you. Like, go away, you know? So it takes, I think, a real... Uh, strong conscious effort to let something like any powerful emotion like that mm. uh, it's it's a hard thing to just kind of pretend you're releasing it into the ether and being all like oh I'll just say bye bye and it's gone because mm-hmm. it's it's much more of an effort um, I think consciously than just saying goodbye to it you just have to be like strong with yourself almost you have mm. to be hard on yourself that you sh- to remind yourself you shouldn't be feeling like that because it's not a nice thing and then if you if you make yourself almost feel bad about it then it's easier to let it go, you know. Right. And then what about, do you find that that is purely in career or can you see that like across like relationships and friendships? Does it pervade life? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Even relationships, friendships, like if I would be particularly close with somebody and oh, let's say I normally do X, Y, Z with this person and then I haven't done it with them in a while and then they're like, oh, I was actually doing X, Y, Z with Pat. That was great. Pat's such a lovely guy and I'm like, oh, <coughs> oh, is he? Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, lovely. Didn't call me for that. That's grand. Right, you know? right, right. And then that's, again, you have to check yourself and go, well, God, I don't, I don't own that person or I don't own that activity with that person. Mm. This is just an element of something in your life that you just need to kind of go, hang on, check yourself here. This is, mm-hmm. you're being a bit ridiculous. But I think it's obviously, uh, stems probably from some sort of sensitivity to want to be included in things, I think, that, that maybe most people have. And then that's where that kind of maybe instant, I call it instant unconscious jealousy because it just appears. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you're consciously making that decision to think that it just happens emotionally. It's an emotional reaction. And then once you're aware of it, you kind of go, ah, cop on to yourself. Right. Then it's grand. You know, yeah, it's gone. But I know it's there, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. So, like, today I heard uh, on a podcast, we were talking about podcasts off mic and how, like, if I'm in, like, I'll be fucking in, I'll listen to them all. Yeah. Whereas you're more like, you'll, you'll dip in and out, yeah. like, you can take or leave and whatever. But um, I was listening to podcasts today, one of the ones that made me fall in love with podcasts, and actually, it's, you made it weird, it's with Pete Holmes, do you know him? Yeah, as a I've heard, I've heard of yeah. him. Yeah, he's, um, but he, he's he's an interesting guy, because he's like a comedian, you know, and he would have come up through, like, the cellar in New York and all that kind of, like, vibe, but he's also, he was raised, like, religious, and he's kind of, like, then became an atheist, but now he's kind of, like, refound this, like, new spirituality, right. but, like, his, his podcast's interesting, because he's a comedian, and, like, the premise of the podcast is uh, comedy, sex, and God, okay. that's what they talk about, Um, so it's, like, fairly, like, and, like, you know, sex is more sort of, like, love and relationships, and God is more spirituality yeah. and meaning, it's not, it's not, um, it's not, like, super Jesus Christy yeah, or anything yeah. like that but he had a um, a father yeah Father Richard Roran and he just said something that struck me today I was listening uh, the way you do 
one thing is the way you do everything. I think okay, I think yeah. that was the quote. Does how do you feel about that? Does that resonate in your life, or is that the way you do bollocks? one thing is the way you do everything? I think that that speaks maybe more to habitual behaviors that permeate different areas of your life. Probably, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think my instant reactions to things can maybe be the same throughout life. You know what I mean? I tend to have this like almost like an old person thing in the back of my head, which is like, ah, it should be grand, you know, cop on to yourself type thing to everything, you right, know. Right. And uh, but I know that that's not that's not real. That's just again, it's like an instant reaction. But I know on an intellectual level or on an emotional level. You have to look at things and consider them and realize, okay, this is this situation, that's that situation, this is how you should behave in these scenarios or how you should maybe evaluate things and make a decision based on it as opposed to just going, ah, sure, that's rubbish, it's grand. Yeah. You know, which is an instant reaction. So I think I could very easily, if I wasn't maybe mature and and aware of myself, Mm. very easily just be a curmudgeon-y person who is jealous of everybody and sits in a pub drinking pints of Guinness in the corner going, ah, this is the world's fucked, isn't it? Ah, I could have been great one time, but I'm not. I'm miserable. You know, so right. I think being aware of your, your makeup and your personality, I think, informs how you live your life and how you deal with other people as opposed to just being wedded to your own perception of who you are and what your personality is, if you know what I mean. And what was your route to that awareness? Um, I don't honestly know. I think I've always been kind of aware of myself and aware of situations. I'm always very... I'm, I'm pretty empathetic in terms of I can I can feel other people's emotions and I can sense how other people are feeling and in social situations or in work situations I know when somebody's struggling or I know when you know I always can sense how other people are feeling and um, and from that I think I've been then maybe more aware of how I fit into other people's worlds and how I um, interact with people and how I I guess how what I do makes a difference to other people in terms of what I say or or even a word or a, you know a kindness or uh, a sharp word you know or a, if you lose your temper about something how all that impacts other people mm-hmm. i think when you're aware of that that then informs how you how you live your life and maybe you're more conscious of how you you are with other people so that i guess so that you're a nice person mm-hmm. yeah yeah and like and i can't remember the exact context you phrase it in but like you were talking about that idea of like feeling like an outlad like in, in <laughs> ways but it's funny the last guest we had in Juliet was kind of talking about something similar like always feeling that bit older is that is that a feeling that you relate to yeah god when I was like 18 I was like an old man really you know? yeah yeah I was like everyone was like going crazy and I was like ah we'll go for a few pints now and I was like what was, what was I doing like I was acting like this old person you know because uh, I was comfortable in that I mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. kind of um not sedentary but I was what's the word I'm looking for comfortable in that um relaxed environment of I guess nonchalant laziness, you know, or or throwaway cliche remarks, you know, like ah, this this will be grand. Ah, sure, you know, better out than your eye, or you know, just the only way you hear people yeah. saying like daft things. My friends from home are exactly like this. They can't interact. Like no, they never think about what they've just heard. And I was like that when I was eighteen or nineteen. Never thought about what somebody just said to me. I just had an instant cliche response, and it was as though I wasn't even conversing. I was just like, here's a cliche response back to something somebody said. And there's so many people that do that. And I find that incredibly frustrating, even though I was once like that. Mm-hmm. When I meet people like that, where the first reaction is, uh, oh, sure, it always rains on a Wednesday. Like, what are you talking about? Like, my mom's dead. You know, it's like, <laughs> this makes no sense. Like, what well, that is not a normal response from a human being. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people who do that, I find incredibly frustrating. Like, But equally, I, I, I sense from some of those people that do that, that they're trapped almost within themselves uh, with an inability to connect emotionally or to communicate properly. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine having to live your whole life trapped inside yourself because I imagine somewhere within themselves there is a normal human response to what they're seeing or what they're the, what they're engaging with. 
but their brain or their emotional makeup or their the way they've been conditioned throughout their life doesn't allow them to make that response they just say you know haha sure grass is wet and like what what are you talking about and then they're trapped within that which is to me is just sad really you know yeah yeah, and like it's, I think it's so confronting as well when you come up against something that you can relate to in like a past version yeah, of yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's always more, like, yeah, if, again, like that. If, if I find myself like really having an aversion to something like that's like overly intense, I'm like, oh, you probably recognize that in yourself now or like an old yeah, self yeah, or yeah. a part of you that yeah. you don't like. Yeah, it's you always know? something in yourself that you read. The, the people you most dislike, it's because there's something in them that reminds you of yourself or at some point in time or even one component of your personality that you don't like and that's what you're identifying and that's why you don't particularly like somebody or something, you know? Right, right, right. right. Let's give it a spin. Okay, here we go. Next up, it's number 31. Do you have it? I don't. No worries. Number 31. Uh, What is your proudest moment as an Irish person? My proudest moment as an Irish person? God, that's a hard question. Um, Not overly like chest-thumpingly Irish um, yeah. I think uh, watching the Irish rugby team um, playing particularly when they beat New Zealand mm-hmm. I think that was that was a sense of pride I think within myself because I like rugby as well so that was a sense of like accomplishment of the nation as such And um, but it's hard to say that I felt that as an extremely proud moment but mm. I, I enjoyed that moment and I felt as close as I could possibly feel to nationalistic pride if you mm. want to call it that um, or uh, Katie Taylor Maybe again, it was it was like not just for for Ireland, but for for women's sport and for uh, for boxing and things like that. So I thought that was I felt really proud for her. I felt really happy for her, if you know what I mean, and for for Irish women and for Ireland and for sport in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I never really thought about that. It's an interesting one. I don't really attach myself to nationalistic pride, if you want to call that. Yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah, in terms of like in terms of your identity, right? Mm-hmm. Like as a person. I'm trying to work out like what my identity to Irishness is and like it definitely it's that cliche of like it changes like when you're abroad and all that nonsense but like there's truth to it too but like what are the things that like form like who you are and who you see yourself in the world um I guess just I always am conscious of being nice to people mm-hmm. um um taking people at face value not having any prejudgments on people I love different cultures different uh, I'm interested in different religions just on, on the surface level mm. um, and I like travelling so and I tend to actively avoid large groups of Irish people when I'm abroad because it just it, it again like you said people become like more Irish you know it becomes more nationalistic people they can tap dancing in the streets like and this kind of daft stuff and wearing rugby or GA jerseys 24-7 and I just I actively avoid that right. because if I wanted that I'd move to Castlebar you know what I mean so you want to travel I travel somewhere I think what what I uh, maybe probably consider in myself is probably a, a bit of a snobbery too to be honest with you that I like to think of myself as this like person who travels and kind of you know independent travel and mm. love to meet the local culture and all this kind of, and that's a very knobby kind of bullshitty thing in a way but it's true I do like to do that um I don't like to be surrounded by Irish people in an Irish bar listen to Irish music watch an Irish sport what's the point of leaving the country if that's what you do like you know right. like you know it's like going to Spain you know and you go to Irish bars you eat Irish food I don't get it so I like to experience other cultures and I think that understanding other cultures and meeting people from different places in the world I think kind of helps make me and has made me who I am I suppose mm. and then in terms of like the you know the two, the, the, the two ones that popped up for you were the two sport answers for the mm. proudest moment what is it about I think about this all the time because I love sport like football like soccer would be mm. my go to but like 
love GAA. I'm a Meath man, like very proud of that. Like I love rugby, like more so. Like I'll follow Leinster and Munster and like Ulster and Connacht to a lesser extent, probably. But like really, the Irish team is where like yeah. my interest is peaked. To yeah. be honest, like golf, anything like that, I'm like so so into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What is it about sport that like <laughs> does that to us? Like, I don't know. I think it's something primal, isn't it? Something like it's like our version of gladiatorial combat and in, in in various different forms like you know I should have mentioned Limerick winning the All-Ireland as well you Limerick man I am yeah right. I'll be shot for that lot. <laughs> um, yeah I, I, don't, I saw that game at Edinburgh because I wasn't home for the for the final which okay. is terrible and it was great and I was very proud of the team and of Limerick and all that kind of stuff so sorry to my family for not mentioning that first um, sports yeah it's it's something primal in us I think you know that it's about combat and it's about you know bettering another person at a given thing um, I'm not an overly competitive person so me in sport uh, I'm not like I'm, my, my instinct is to derail the entire thing <laughs> if there's a competitive person near me I will absolutely derail the whole thing because their reaction will just be the best thing in the world for me like, you know <laughs> a competitive person losing their mind over an amateur game of five-a-side yeah. is like I, I'll be there smoking a cigarette wearing flip-flops just driving them insane you know like what are you doing oh sorry I was just lighting my cigarette is that a goal oh crap but we're 4-0 down oh god like that to me is like that's my that's my competitiveness yeah. is to drive that person insane so it's a different form of the same primal instinct the same combat within sport so I think sport for everybody is about it's a rush of blood, isn't it? It's an intensity in a set period of time. It's combat. Um, whatever the sport is, it's about combat and it's about winning and it's about the betterment of one side versus another. So it's the most primal thing mm. there is, I imagine, you know. Do you see do you feel any do you see any similarities between sport and stand up comedy in terms of the things that they access within the human condition? Um, I, well, yeah, I guess when you see some sports uh, players like, you know, doing that whole, I don't know if it's a mindfulness thing or the breathing or the, the they're getting themselves in the zone and they go through a series of motions. Like when you're backstage at comedy gigs, stand-up comedians have certain tics and certain things that they do before they go on, which is them readying themselves almost the same thing like somebody taking a conversion like before you go on stage take the mic you have a kind of a routine mm. like i do this weird squat thing where i put my arms out straight in front of me and i squat a couple of times before i go on i have no idea where it came from i never squatted in my life i don't go to the gym uh, apparently i'm quite good at it so i do these nice squats before i go on stage uh, maybe it's to get the blood flow going to calm my breathing i'm not entirely sure but yeah. everybody has something you know so there are similarities there certainly in terms of you're readying yourself for something, for like, for a performance or for a match or whatever. So there are definitely blatant similarities there in that regard. Yeah, mm, that's really interesting about like the the little uh, the little ticks. Like I've done I've done stand up like let's say like ten or twelve times, like not a lot. But I know I never noticed that. That's really interesting as well. With the it's funny you say that thing about like the squatting because like I'm an actor by trade mm. and like you know went to drama school and did all the you know the, the the wankiness of all the yeah yeah everything that's involved in that, but that would be like a thing people really, would yeah? do. Yeah, it's funny. Okay. Like, but like it would be like to kind of ground you and that idea okay. of like dropping into your feet and like having yeah. your feet really. Oh, so there's the some like philosophical RC way of describing. The yeah, squats. we okay. could definitely make a go. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Accessing your inner self as you reach the ground. Yeah. Look to the sky. Rise. Go confidently. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have a very good voice for a, me- a, a meditation app. <laughs> we'll do a meditation podcast, will we? It'd be very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and like with um with like with, with comedy and and in that thing of like the like 
even do you remember like where that ritual came from was it like no it, it, it wasn't like the first time you did it and then you're like okay now I have to do it every other time no it just it happened yeah, and yeah. I obviously subconsciously noticed this is a good thing yeah this has maybe eased the nerves or re- you know reduced the rate of breathing or whatever because like when you're doing stand-up timing is so important and I'd occasionally um, suffer from that's not even asthma it's more of like I get chesty from time to time chest infections mm-hmm. And that throws off my breathing, like if it's very humid weather. And if it throws off your breathing even slightly, that gig, I know that gig is not as good as it can be because mm. I can't get to the end of sentences at the same rate with the same uh, ease that I normally would mm. in terms of, you know, I need to take a breath at this point versus this point. So I think maybe that whole grounding myself thing and breathing has kind of helped with that. And maybe I subconsciously recognized this is a good thing and I just kept doing it. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really think about it, if you know what I mean. Mm. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of like the is I was talking I was talking about a friend with this who's also an actor who does stand up and who's like dabbled in it again like not yeah. wouldn't be like you know gigging five nights a week or anything like that but um and we were talking about that like the idea of you know like you you're doing like a 5 or a 7 minute set versus then doing a, a half an hour yeah, yeah. or an hour even like yeah, a yeah. full Edinburgh yeah. show whatever you're going to do what, what do you is is the craft of that? Do they feel like two very different things to you? Are they the same thing, just in different? No, they're different things. Yeah, they mm. are different. So like a ten minute set, like if you're doing seven minutes or ten minutes, you're kind of you're almost doing like your greatest hits really for seven minutes. And it's if you've been doing it a while and you have more material, mm-hmm. you're trying to do like your best bits in that short period of time. Your pacing will be different because it's a shorter burst. Sometimes imagine the same way that you would like design the length of a TV program. You know what I mean? It, this is going to happen here and there. So the, the longer it gets, the more stuff you got to put in. So mm-hmm. over like a 40-minute show or a 20-minute set even, you're going to have to have a dip somewhere. Like, you know, for me anyway. So you're going to go in strong, you go out strong is kind of what you do in comedy anyway, mm-hmm. right? So you mm-hmm. have your good stuff to start, really good stuff at the end to leave them going, wow, that was great. And in the middle, you then have to like craft any get from A to B. So you have to have a dip somewhere because you can't be like, like you know what some people can, but... I don't particularly enjoy going at a massively fast pace from A to B over 20 minutes. It's exhausting for an audience, not a mind a performer. Mm-hmm. So I would kind of go in strong, then build in more dips and laughs and dips, like like almost like a roller coaster, to bring them to the end. That's the way I would do it, yeah. I put a dip in the middle. But So it's a different, you're crafting it differently for the audience's attention span as well. You know? Totally. Yeah. yeah, you need arc it like, in yeah, a different arc it, way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so do you have a preference, like, or do you feel like one of either, either styles suits your vibe more? Uh, well, longer generally is better for me mm. because I'm a storytelling style of comedian. So <clears throat> well, when I started, I found it very difficult because I was very wedded to the way my stories were written. So for me, like 10 minutes was I was barely getting getting going and I was hitting having to hit this end of my 10 minute story. And it was like, God, I, I needed more time on that. Whereas now I, I've learned I can I can chop and edit and move on the on the fly mm. and change stories around and change bits around to make it work. But longer generally for storytelling style is better. But it's it's like you'll do any gig you get and ten minutes to me in a good room is great. Twenty minutes, lovely. Whatever, yeah, it's all like it's no the time isn't really everybody wants more time. Mm. So like nobody's gonna sit here and tell you as a stand up and go, Yeah, I really love doing eight minutes. Like you you love doing as much as they'll give you. <laughs> right. That's right, basically right. it, yeah. So you don't want to get off the stage. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then uh we were chatting previously about like you didn't come straight into stand up from like school or from college the way no, some no. people do. So what was your like what was the route to starting it and what was the catalyst for it? Well I always wanted to do it, but I had I guess uh a fear of of, of doing it, a fear of 
a lack of understanding of how to do it, I suppose. I didn't have friends who were comedians, didn't have real exposure to comedy clubs when I was growing up or mm. when I was in college, right like that. So for me, it was very much, I was a fan of comedy, particularly sitcoms when I was a kid, and then stand-up as well in later years. And something I always wanted to try, but I didn't know how exactly it would work. Mm. So I'm the kind of person, like when I was growing up in school or whatever, I was the guy in school class with a smart comment. Right. So somebody would say X, and I'd flash back Y straight away. Um, and it was almost like an instant reaction. I didn't really think about it. I just could do smart comments or witty comebacks or whatever. And I didn't know how you would translate that into a stand-up set on a stage without that two-way interaction, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I was always kind of, always at the back of my mind, love to do that, love to do that, love to do that. Started going to more comedy. Went traveling um, for like, what was it? Six months. And found myself, you know, it was great. Uh, went traveling and just arsed around really and said, you know what now? Life's too short. When you go back, just go to an open mic, see what the crack is. So I came back after traveling, went to a couple of mics, saw what the crack was, wrote out a 10-minute set, uh, or 7-minute set, wrote it down, and uh, just went for it. And literally, my hands were shaking, palms were sweating. Like, I'll never forget the fear. Like, never. I must have had three or four points before I went on. And the adrenaline afterwards was just, like, came off. Got a couple of laughs. Like, God, it wasn't brilliant. But I got a couple of laughs, and I was like, that was all I needed. I was like, oh, yes, this is it. I'm going to do this again. And then I just kept doing it. Yeah. yeah it's fascinating like uh, like I was saying like because I messaged you on Instagram a few weeks ago and be like yeah. I need to go back doing it like I yeah. I know that because like so I work as a like as an actor like for uh, large chunks of the year obviously the nature that work is sometimes it's not there yeah. or like you're in between job or whatever it is um so like I'll do other thing I work as a like a singer and uh like um uh, like I'm hosting for Bingo Loco, which is yeah, something yeah. we were talking about. So all this sort of stuff. So it, it yeah, was you're really multi talented. We get it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm, what I'm actually trying to make a point, um, which is I am multi. Stop pitching for work. Uh, <laughs> I'm booked out, man. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but the but the point was actually that like I those performance skills are like you know the like the act of getting on stage. Something I I have like like yeah. I said like went to drama school for like yeah, and yeah. I probably have a degree that like inherently in me that was that wasn't the thing and like even the writing like at that stage I'd written plays like I knew I could yeah. write so none of that was it but the particular fucking buzz of like being up there and it like there's something more personal about it because it's like yeah. if they like you they like you it's instant feedback yeah like so instant like and you get that in theatre but there's always something like well they're not my words you know yeah, I'm yeah. interpreting like his yeah, words yeah, yeah, yeah. or like well the director told me to there's do somewhere that. to hide yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. whereas in stand up like you're the director yeah. the producer you're the everything. writer yeah. it's like, and, and like but that buzz yeah it's I, amazing I, I've never got anything like it yeah you know what I mean it's so good it's the best thing ever to be honest yeah like yeah. coming off stage from coming off from a good gig just the best feeling ever mm. equally coming off a bad gig worst feeling ever so, worst yeah, feeling yeah, ever yeah, yeah. so now so how, how how long have you been doing it how many years oh god I'm only doing comedy about two years is that all that's all yeah, yeah. wow okay yeah. so and what I've been very lucky you know mm. work, working out working out well yeah 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 it seems to be so what what like do you notice now that the good gigs get more and more and the bad gigs get less and less yeah, yeah 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 and there's a lot to be said I mean I know a lot of people talk about like audiences and rooms and and you're not supposed to say an audience was a bad audience or a room was a bad room and that it's all about you. But, I mean, realistically, having done some really dodgy rooms, like, in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. to audiences who were, like, incidentally there. You know what I mean? They yeah. were having a pint and the owner of the bar went, sure, we have comedy on next door. And they go, ah, oh, oh, come on, Tom, go into the comedy, will you? There's no one inside. I'm after bringing the lads down from Dublin. And you have a room full of people like that. Yeah, It's not going to be a great gig. Like, you, well, it'll be... 
it'll be grand yeah. at best yeah. but it's not going to be like walking off the international do you know what I mean to a full room where people are actively there for comedy and it's set up for comedy so right. there are good rooms there are bad rooms um, it's not all 100% on the shoulders of the stand-up comedian I think at times like 90% of it is the comedian mm-hmm. but there's always that 10% varying factor that the room has to be right and everything has to be set for it to be a good night or a good show you know yeah totally because like that's one thing you don't get in well I mean I haven't I've not like toured majorly with theatre so like I've been like you know the, like you're in the same theatre so you know the space and okay mm-hmm. it d- like it definitely depends like if it's full or if it's half full mm-hmm. uh, especially in like a comedy people yeah. can like that totally changes it but like even say doing the Bingo Loco shows like they travel all over the yeah. place and like even it's not even like a Dublin versus country thing it's like venue versus venue like sometimes you're just like yeah this room's a bit long and the ceiling's yeah. a bit low yeah, and yeah. like I, I kind of find myself just playing to the front yeah, three yeah. rows and it's not loads I feel I can do yeah, about yeah, it yeah. so that makes total sense yeah yeah no you you work with what you have you know mm. I know obviously people there are some seriously skilled comedians out there who can pull something out of anywhere you know out of any room mm. and that's a joy to watch to be honest with you but not everybody can do that I think maybe that's down to maybe depth and breadth of material as well sometimes or, or being suited to different parts of, like if your topics are very specific and you're going to an area that don't give a crap about those topics then maybe that's not going to work for you i'm not like that but i've seen it happen to people Mm. and then what about like just in terms of like living day to day and paying rent and shit like that like what like what were you doing before oh well yeah work for um marketing basically yeah work marketing so um that that paid the bills really yeah yeah. but stand up and gigging probably what four or five nights a week now so yeah i mean i'm making a living out of it like you're not going to get rich but it's all it's the case that you have to be doing it in order to progress, if you know what I mean. Totally. You can't, like if you're half time, part-time doing it and oh, I'll do a gig here and do a gig there, you're always going to be doing a gig here and a gig there. You yeah. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you have to kind of go for it, give it up, then you have and uh, hope for the best. Like you know, yeah. yeah. So is that, is that what happened? Like have you left the, the normal job or do you still do that now? I still do that now, yeah. yeah still do marketing now. But like I'm, I'm with a view to jumping yeah yeah jumping, yeah, yeah. and like do you do you like what in terms of doing the marketing like do you enjoy that like if you were to say just quit and go full-time stand-up like yeah. would you miss the marketing or was it very much just no, a means to no yeah no wouldn't I, like i enjoy don't get me wrong i enjoy the creativity of 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 what i do uh at times but like god is like i love stand-up comedy mm. you know what I mean? absolutely love it love mm. writing love creating love being on stage i mean that for me is is that's my job if you want to call it the other thing is just something that pays for me to to do some of that yeah that's what it is yeah and what about like the writing of it and like the yeah. discipline of that and like coming up with new material and, and whatever that looks like w- with what degree of regularity do you do that and like what pressure do you put on yourself to to not as you say like i'm sure you could rely on like the greatest hits over the last two years like you've already got some bits yeah, that yeah. you know we're going to crush every time like what does it look like to push like how how do you just manage that like um kind of rotation of new material yeah you try to well like the you try to mix in bits when you can so depending on the room you're doing so if you're doing a gig um and like if you're not headlining and it's a smaller room somewhere you do you'll mix in maybe two or three new minutes Mm -hmm. somewhere to see how it goes down like you know you'll still still leave the room the worst case scenario is that the audience will go there was a bit of a dip in the center there was there i didn't really get that three minute bit he did you know and then you go at its grand because you could come back out into normal stuff again yeah. but then you'll have kind of gone okay that bit of that bit works i need to change that i need to put a pause there or this will work i need to m- move that word or that kind of stuff you know so you go back to you so editing on stage um sometimes what i do mm. so i will write stuff but i tend to write in bursts so i'll write like five minute stories and then 
I have to add in the laughs per minute back into that five minutes, if you want to call it that. Right. So, like, it's a story that might be funny, but there mightn't be enough laughs in it. Mm-hmm. So then you have to go and you got to write in, you know, ed- edit in the laughs. So you'll test it on stage somewhere and go, okay, that doesn't work. There's, like, there's bits I've tried. I'm like, nah, they don't work. Oh, that's, that's just not going to work. Mm. So I don't do it. But there's other bits I've, I've come up with that have been like, and are now part of my everyday set. And then you're adding two or three minutes here and there. So over the course of a year, you'll end up with like, you started with maybe a 10, 15 minute set. And at the end of the year, what started as that has now got new bits in it. And if you were to take it all out and, and, and put it on paper from when you started to what extra bits you have now, you'd probably have half an hour, 35 minutes mm. from that 15 because you're trying and testing new two and three minute bits here and there. Yeah. Totally. And and do you, do you, um, oh, I forgot my question. Huh. Do I? Yeah, I do, I do Tom. I do. I literally, I had a question in my head and I just forgot it. That's it's actually never happened to me before. It was like a real dramatic forget. Like it was right there <laughs> and, and gone. blank. Does this mean something's wrong? <laughs> like, <laughs> am I okay? No, probably not. No. Gas. Yeah, I'm so interested. I have like a real reverence for like stand-up as a, mm. as a thing. What about like the other things that we see like stand-ups do in terms of like acting or talk shows or podcasts or whatever it is? Yeah. Like, do you... Do they uh, appeal to you? Yeah, they do. I mean, look, I mean, it's an a- any string to your bow that you have to get an advantage, I suppose. Uh, it's all about getting your name out there at the end of the day. I mean, there's no people need to know who you are um, in order to come and see you. So, mm-hmm. like, it's a long road getting people to see you room by room to go, that guy was funny, we'll go see him when he's back again. Mm-hmm. Um, because name recognition means an awful lot in stand-up comedy. What are... Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but it's certainly a reality. So, like, if you're a comedian and you're also doing a podcast and you're also on TV, then when you rock into a town or to a show, people go, oh, that's your man from X. Right. Let's go see him do comedy. As opposed to rocking into town and people go, there's comedy on, who's that guy we've never heard of? Mm -hmm. So, it's a much harder sell when people don't know your face or don't know your name. So, anything anybody can do to, I suppose, add to your name recognition then it's all the better, you know, mm-hmm. all the better, yeah. So certainly any of those things like podcasting would interest me. Just haven't got the time at the moment, yeah. But yeah, yeah things yeah. like that, yeah, it would definitely interest me, yeah. Okay, I hope this question's okay to ask. I don't mean this in a bad way at all. We were talking the way in about having a beard. Yeah. And like yeah, you've yeah. got quite like a distinctive beard. Yeah. Is that, t- is that like a kind of, a, like a marketing decision for want of a better phrase of being like, you remember the guy with the beard? Well, it's an, it's an incidental thing, I suppose. So I had a beard um, when I started doing the comedy and then I wrote some jokes based on that the beard kind of helps sell visually if you want to call it that right. so <laughs> until I change some of my material I'm kind of stuck with the beard right I, I love the beard but um, it, it a lot of my, my jokes uh, are sold visually by the beard so mm. for me and yes it does help like on stage I wear all black I always wear a black hoodie and black jeans um, at every gig I have a big beard with a couple of, of, of punchlines that are memorable enough. So you add those things together. It's like, do you remember the, the guy in black with the beard who had this joke? Yeah, yeah, And then that, as opposed to, do you remember your man? What man? The guy. The, which, you know, so it's like, certainly helps to sell you as a, as, as a, a memorable act mm-hmm. in that you have the beard, you wear the same thing every time, and you have a couple of lines that maybe are, are memorable in a set. So those things combined all add up to like a nice marketing mix for want of a better description, yeah. Mm. So the way we met was at the Tri Channel Christmas party. Mm-hmm. So we both work on on the for the YouTube channel, um, and obviously that's like another way of getting yourself yeah, out there because yeah. obviously it racks in huge views now. Granted, yeah. like plenty abroad, but yeah, like yeah. also with, in, within Ireland, um, is there what within the comedy community? Is there 
what what's the vibe of that? Is it is it like is it an okay thing to do, or are people kind of like, oh, he he's doing the YouTube? Like, what what's the vibe? There, there, it depends. Like, some people are fine with it. Some people have no issues. Some people are very snobby about it. Are like, oh, it's your eating things, is it? Yeah, mad. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're like, well, that's fine. You know, it's your whatever you want to think yourself like. Yeah. Um, there is certainly a snobbery. Uh, yeah, some people are some like. Some comics are very like you know all about the craft and all about the art and you know like if somebody asked them on the street when their next show is, they nearly wouldn't tell them you know <laughs> no, it's about the craft and the art. You'll have to find me as an artist. Like yeah, that see how far that gets you. You know, right. uh, so some people are very snobby in that regard, but uh, most people aren't. You know, most people are like yeah, it's just another string to your bow. It's something you do. I really enjoy doing it. Um, mm, really enjoy doing it. Have great fun doing it. Uh, they're a great bunch of people. And like yeah, like the exposure that you get as well is really, like, of a lot of um, followers on Instagram from the channel. Mm. Um, Edinburgh every year, like, last year at Edinburgh, I would easily say of 22 shows that I did, um, five, maybe four to five people a day in my room were from the Troy channel. Really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Huge. And would come up to me afterwards, like, that's, 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 what, 25 pounds a day? Yeah. You know, from just being on the Troy channel. So, yeah, absolutely, like, the, the, like I was talking about earlier, name recognition and getting your name out there and your face out there. Yeah, like brilliant. Yeah, mm. especially when you go somewhere else. It was, I was in Galway doing a gig and I was uh, heading, to the, heading to the bus the next morning and this, there was a bin truck pulled in and it was really busy, noisy traffic and the bin man was like pulling his bins out. I was, maybe he was in his like late 30s pulling the bin out and he shouted something at me and I was like, uh, you know, wasn't paying attention. I was like, oh, sorry, I thought it was in his way or yeah. something. And he went, he said it again. I still didn't catch it. And I went, sorry. And he goes, love you on the, the YouTube videos. And I was like, oh, thank, thanks a million. And I was like, Jesus Christ, the bin man in Galway like, watches the Troy channel. This yeah. is insane, you know? Yeah. So like anything you can get to get yourself a bit of name recognition or to be seen uh, and that may help funnel people into shows. Mm. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't regard myself as a YouTube star or anything like that or a YouTuber as mm-hmm. such. But I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian who does some stuff on the Troy channel that I love doing. And yeah, it helps me out uh, professionally in stand-up. Great. Totally. Yeah, like it, 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 it is a... Like I asked that question because I had a feeling that might be a thing, but it's a very weird thing if if that, if that you have a resentment for people for doing it. Because like, first of all, like people really enjoy them. Like yeah, yeah. that's why yeah. they're wildly popular. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, they're going to have like probably a million subscribers very soon. Like videos yeah, yeah. get hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. Yeah, so yeah. people really enjoy them. It's like, if you're bringing joy to people, yeah, I, yeah. I, like that's what I always come back to. I'm like, how can you begrudge someone, even yeah. if you don't get it? Yeah. You know, I, I, and I, there's I, lots of things I don't get, like when I don't hate people because they get it. You yeah, know totally. I mean? yeah, yeah, totally. Totally, totally. I love doing it, and and like some very very funny people on the Tri Channel. Mm. You know what I mean. So That's I the thing, it, yeah. and like there's like there's a I I I would struggle to think of someone who'd be on the Tri Channel, and and I'd be a bit like, oh no, like you know, like <laughs> you, you'd be like you'd be like, oh, I don't want to be in the same thing associated with them. Like they're all real smart, intelligent, yeah, 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 like funny, yeah. nice people. Slamming the door, walking back down the stairs again. <laughs> Not them again. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I just came here for the tasty M and M's. Yeah, and so in terms of Edinburgh then, and doing yeah. like that as a thing, is that the vibe that you go over and you you do a, like a full show like a 40-50 yeah. hour long show yeah you do like uh, well I'm doing this year actually in, oddly enough I'm doing two shows okay um, which was kind of accidental how it came about but it is what it is so I'm doing my main show which is the one I'd planned to do anyway right uh, which would be 45 minutes long and that's in a paid venue um, 
and then I'm doing a second show, which is a free venue show. So like pay what you want, yeah. so you can pay when you leave, which is the bulk of the, f- the fringe is that, mm-hmm. um, which is what I did last year. So I'm doing that as well. I have no idea what that is yet. Um, I have a few ideas. I'm going to kind of maybe experiment with it and come up with something fun, maybe outside of my normal comfort zone of the way I normally do my mm-hmm. material. So that's going to be uh, interesting to see what I do with that. So mm-hmm. I have two shows, two 45-minute shows at Edinburgh, one at half 12 and one at 4.45. Right. Yeah, two different venues. So it should be fun. Yeah, because we're looking at, I, I have a one-man show on in, in Dublin uh, in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, um, called The Belly Button Girl. And yeah. we're looking to do, like, it's a it's a play, like, it's a monologue play. Yeah. It's, it's not stand-up, although there are definitely, like, elements yeah. of it comparable. But, um, but we're looking to do, like, a week in the free fringe there. Cool. But next year, I have this, like, grot to bring over, like, a, a full one-hour I'm reticent to call it like a stand-up show because I just because like I said I've got that bit of like reverence for like <laughs> the stand-up community and I do, and I don't it's not like I'm out like three or four nights a week at all I'd love to be more in that zone but like acting more kind of can get in the way of that mm-hmm. sometimes or whatever but um but like there's something about that and like because you have like the yeah, it's interesting. So, like, I'm kind of looking at doing that vibe yeah. next year. But Edinburgh just is a thing. It's amazing. In like, general, yeah. like, it sounds mad It's and so intense. And There's, n- like, you yeah. don't know what time of day it is half the time. <laughs> the show's on from... I was doing, like, spots on compilation shows at 9 in the morning. Right. Uh, 11 in the morning, 12, then 1, then you're having lunch and a beer. And then you're like, oh, somebody gives you a ring. Would you, can you come in and do 10 minutes? And you're like, yeah, cool. Then you've got your own show. And you do your own show for, like, the 45 minutes of the hour. You're flyering for your own show. You're promoting your own show. You're on social media. You're doing the show. You're doing after the show. Then you're like bed and you just do it all again. It's just it's so intense. Like right. I got I got a when I came back last year, I like got a chest infection after two days of getting back. It's <laughs> just my body just fell apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're doing like what? Last year I did like fifty shows, um, between oh. spots and my own show. But this year I'll be doing, I'll be doing fifty shows with my own two shows, and I'll probably do a couple of other spots as well. So this year will be pretty intense. So I need to not drink too much and you know kind of eat healthy and look after myself yeah 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 because yeah. you could easily fall apart over there you know and like just in like the boring practical elements of it like have you do you are you already like in that zone like so first of all you know the first show that you plan to do yeah do you have like a title for that do you know what that's about yeah yeah, yeah 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 so what's yeah. the vibe of it is, that's, is that's, that okay to ask like because for example like i don't want i'm not trying to <laughs> like sometimes people ask me like they're like what should you play about and yeah, like yeah, i yeah. just there's no good answer and i just had to I, I and I you you don't like and I'm not trying to do that yeah, thing yeah, that yeah. the the stand ups in the street like oh come find me not at all <laughs> I'm just like like it it I, I honestly don't have a good I need a, I'm doing radio for tomorrow I'm like I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. think I'm going to have to rely on my personality to sell this because I don't... Like, the blurb is yeah, a blurb. Yeah. The blurb is a blurb, yeah, yeah. 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 Which the, is the, part of it. The cons- a lot of my material is is based on... Um, and it sounds boring when I talk about the concept of my stand-up, but the concept of a lot of what I do is uh, unconscious bias, racism, religion, not judging a book by its cover. And that's all... That's kind of the, the, the theme, if you want to call it that. But I, I don't think in the room necessarily you'd be aware that that's the theme from the very beginning or even from yeah. the middle. But I think you might leave with you might leave with a kind of a subconscious knowledge of that was the mm-hmm. theme, if you know what I mean. Um, but that's all done through storytelling. Like, so I'll, t- I'll talk about stories when I lived in Australia, um, New Zealand. So there's stories in there about like um, uh, uh, Mossad, uh, uh, Israeli Mossad. There's stories in there about living with Iraqi refugees, which was true. Um, and most people don't think that's true, but there's a really good story in there about that. Mm. So it's all about basically the premise of this year's show essentially is at 17, I steal 10,000 euros by forging my mother's signature. Uh, I run away to New Zealand 
and all manner of chaos and lunacy unfolds over the course of 12 months because i'm young naive open and just you know open to anything any experience mm-hmm. and all manner of lunacy happens uh, with all different groups of people over 12 months that's the whole blurb of the show if you want to call it that right yeah so then it's very like storytelling of all these different stories linked together throughout the course of this 12 month period over 45 minutes is the show it's totally. called a, a whole new world and it, but isn't that so gas that like exactly like what, what i'm saying like you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I talk about like unconscious bias and racism yeah. and all that, and you're like, oh, great, how funny, yeah, yes. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, that's because yeah. that would be exactly my experience with this play. Like, it's called the Belly Button Girl, which yeah. is, you know, like that is the right name for the play, but that makes it kind of sound like cartoonish and like childish, nearly. Where like it's not really about that; it's like a drama, but it's like wrapped in a lot of comedy, and yeah, it's yeah. like about you know, like falling in love with someone who kind of makes you fall in love with yourself and then the person goes away and like can you still be in love with yourself yeah, 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 you know yeah. but again that doesn't like that's not a great sell it's very, yeah, but it's, it's so hard isn't it it's so hard to take like like I, I, I would far rather go look just sit in the room there right and in half an hour you'll be laughing yeah. and, and you'll be going that's amazing yeah. I really enjoyed that and like there you are yeah. told you it'd be funny <laughs> Like I'd love to just go. It'll be funny. Yeah. Just come in and as opposed to well, actually, what happens in this and this? Yeah. And like in the streets of Edinburgh, you can't promote your show by going. Well, it's about unconscious bias and it's about like you, nobody's going to come to it. Like so, yeah, you have to yeah. be like hamming up the the story end of it on the street to get people to come in. You know, and because it's so competitive, there's thousands of shows. You know, mm, mm. so you have to be like on the ball with a couple of quick like one-liner synopsis of what this is about. Why should you come see this show? You know, so right. it's very hard to do that. Yeah, and what about then in terms of like. So obviously we, we spoke about like you being like, you know, 18, 19 and having like the L-man responses and like being comfortable <laughs> in that. Then obviously this show is kind of about someone who sounds like the opposite of that. Like he yeah, yeah. forged a signature, goes off to New Zealand. So like what role does like the like the truth ha- have in your yeah, yeah. stand-up? Because maybe for me, right, as someone who's worked as like, you know, a playwright and like yeah. I write the TV and film is something I'm trying to move towards, yeah. right? And, uh, and like obviously that's like you know fictional uh, fictional as you want to make it whereas then when I write stand up I normally veer way more towards like like closer to me I suppose yeah. than like the characters that I might play in these other yeah. things well, how do you balance that? So a lot of my stuff will be based on, on truth mm. so a lot of my stuff and stories would have actually happened to one degree or another mm-hmm. so you're just adding like hyperbole on top and you're layering it with different things or you're moving locations and times mm-hmm. so like for example I might have worked in a call centre when I was 25 and this incident happened and I might have lived in Australia when I was like 22 and this thing happened but for the purposes of stand up I was 19 and I lived in Australia and worked in a call centre at the same time right. so like you just you just like disregard time and space and you put everything into whatever realm you want it to be in and yes. then you, you you add it together as a so as a storytelling comic you have to make it well for me you, you have to make it string from a to b and make it work so you can't i couldn't be like you know uh, oh actually another time uh 10 years <laughs> later i was in this other place like what does this guy on about you know? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's the difference between somebody telling funny stories at a pub and actually crafting stand-up routine like yeah, it has to make sense mm-hmm. in some regard to the audience so it has to like flow in, in for me it has to flow in some sort of chronological way so i tend to move things around in time and space to make them all fit where i want them basically mm-hmm. so yeah to answer your question which you ultimately asked was um most of my stuff is based on truth mm. yeah is based on truth and then exaggerated for effect yeah 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 and is, is that something like because <laughs> that is that is an interesting thing about Stand up is that like I'm not gonna say most people, but like a lot of people are funny. Like a lot of people Mm. can make people laugh, and like that thing, 
like did you have that as a self-consciousness when you started like was was part of the fear like like what right do I have like I, I'm not even the funniest person in my friend group which I imagine like a lot of yeah. comics maybe even feel like yeah. a, as someone who like you know done comedy like a lot of my writing veers towards comedy like I I, I have yeah. an awareness like yeah. I'm a funny yeah, person yeah. yeah in my friend group like I'm not getting the most laughs yeah, all the yeah, time you yeah, know yeah, what yeah, I mean yeah, that's yeah. not necessarily going to be true yeah no I, w- I would have always been one of the main jokers in any in any group of friends like you mm. know would have always been the fu- uh, one of the funny guys certainly yeah. <clears throat> I have a couple of friends who are hilarious but by and large in most groups of people I would have been like the joker or the, the funny one or the, the quick remark or whatever mm-hmm. Um, so that was natural for me but the fear of stand-up was you're removed from a group where you're doing this one-to-one with, in- with feedback and interaction where they say something you say something they say something that kind of thing mm. or you're telling a story where that group has context they know you for years. They know the people you're talking about. They know the scenario, and they they got that's hilarious because they bear with the bits that aren't funny to get to the funny bit. Right. An audience who doesn't know you has no context, no idea where you came from, doesn't know the things you're talking about. So you can't just get up there and treat them like they're the same group you were knocking about with the back of the bar. They're not going to wait four minutes for you to get to the end of it. They're going to go, "Come on, what is this? This is rubbish." Yeah. So it's totally different from telling stories in a pub. It's the same principle. You have to be funny, but. It's a totally different thing, completely mm. different thing, because there's a lot of people who are not funny, I guess, in groups or in everyday life. They're not like laughing and cracking jokes who are fantastic stand up comedies, mm. comedians, because they sit and they write and they know how to construct a set from the point of view of being on stage and not being part of that group that's in front of them. They're mm. kind of slightly removed from it and they're brilliant at doing that. Mm. So for me, the fear was losing that connection. Am I still funny? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you get you. I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, let's give it a spin. Okay, here we go. Next up, it's number six. Do you have it? I don't. I've, I'm really bad at this, this numbers thing. Mm, no worries. Number six. Question is, if you couldn't do what you're doing right now, what career would you pursue? Ooh, what career would I pursue? I would... When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a politician. Did you? Yeah, I don't know why. I was obsessed with it when I was a child, primary school. Um... And it's something that's always at the back of my mind. Um, but you need a hell of a lot of time in your hands to do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if I if I was told tomorrow you're now banned from stand-up comedy, uh, I might seriously consider um, local politics or something like that. Mm. Just to ma- uh, uh, try and make a difference in, 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 in people's lives or in, in communities. Or just instead of being a grumpy person on a couch shouting at, like, The Tonight Show, uh, actually, you know, contribute a valuable opinion to a scenario to hopefully make a difference or something so yeah so I, i'm very interested in politics so mm. i think it would be something i would like to do if i wasn't doing this yeah yeah and like not to keep trying to do this but like there definitely are similarities mm. like i think like I, I i remember at a certain age like when i was younger i wanted to be a priest <laughs> right and like i didn't want to be a priest i, I wanted to be like yeah, yeah. someone who probably talk professionally yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. like a actor or yeah. a you know yeah, yeah. comedian or a whatever the fuck uh, so but like there is something about that with like especially if your comedy generally does like veer towards like those social e issues yeah, like yeah, of yeah. like you know racism unconscious by all this yeah, stuff yeah. like it is in that same universe it's funny how like when you're a kid though you don't know that like oh but like stand-up's a, a job yeah yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah, yeah yeah it's true I mean it's like yeah again like you said like some of my stuff is socially informed so I'm, I guess, and I hadn't really thought about it, I guess I'm just expressing 
the opinions I have in a different way. And maybe if I wasn't in comedy, I would try and express those opinions in a more serious way. Mm. Uh, I suppose like comedy stand up is subversive, really. You're trying to subvert things in order to make points. Um, whereas with um, politics, you would be just outright making those points, you know. Mm-hmm. But still, you have to keep an audience happy <laughs> yeah. to get forwarded in. Yeah. So you have to know how to how to, to talk to people and how to, to get your point across that that's broad enough for everybody to understand or to, to want to, to agree with you and that kind of stuff. So, like, watch any of the old doll debates like Joe Higgins from the Socialist Party. Some of his stuff man, was hilarious. Like, really? Absolutely rip the opposition benches apart like, or the government benches apart I should yeah. say, like, yeah, his stuff like they'd all be cracking themselves laughing in the door like he would just be destroying them yeah. and I was like that guy should have been a stand up like you know but he was a politician so maybe there are crossovers you know yeah I wonder have there been any examples of comics going for the, the new president of um, the Ukraine is a comedian did you hear about this no he ran for election right this is mental the Ukraine anyway and particularly well it's it's it is the Ukraine isn't it yeah they're, it's a very corrupt place mm. um, so people are fed up with corruption and this guy ran on the platform that he was going to tackle corruption right he's a comedian who plays the part on a TV series of a teacher who did a viral video rant about politics and corruption and it went viral and that teacher in the TV series becomes the president of the country so then this guy who is the fake actor president of the country ran for election and is now the president Oh Only God. the other day, like insane, insane. No experience in politics, nothing. It's going to clean the whole world up, apparently. Can't <laughs> wait to see what happens. Can't wait to see what happens. That's mental. That is mental. Yeah. I bet it mightn't be the worst thing. Like I, like yeah, I would. Mad, there, there it? are a few comedians. Like if, for example, the two best live comics like I've seen perform, I wouldn't mind either of them being present. Like Tommy Chernin. Yeah. Or like you know, even even like um, you know, T-shirt like something with like a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, T-shirt. Tommy Tune in his T-shirt. They'll be insane. No, I know. Like you wouldn't want to actually like. Sh- I wouldn't want to shackle him down to that job <laughs> mainly because I I like the rovings or the yeah, like, yeah. madness that the fella like. But like in Dara O'Brien, like Dara yeah, O'Brien yeah. in particular, he'd be like, I bet he could do a pretty good job. I bet you he'd be a good minister for health. Yeah. Right? I don't know why. Yeah, he would though. And he's got that science head in him. Do yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah. I, like I. Yes, but you're citing two very intelligent people there, mm-hmm. independently of comedy and stuff. But it's still like okay, I could see somebody going from comedy into politics at a level. Yeah, but going straight in as the leader of the country—that's yeah, yeah. a bit mental. Yeah, with no experience. No, God, no, no, that's no. Mad. it is obscene. And and then, but it also goes to show you like the power of. Well, I don't know. Like I, I so I don't know. I don't like speak about this because I literally just heard about it from you now. <laughs> but like, is it the power of, of like media in that sense that like they saw and then they, they like recreated it because they liked the feeling of like that viral video that was yeah, in the TV show. It's obviously there in their head. Somewhere. Or is it his like rhetoric skills as a comedian that he knows he can manipulate audiences because that's probably, fundamental. It's probably got to be a real combination. Again, it goes back to talking about like name recognition as a comedian for doing different things. Right. Like he's got that he had the name recognition. He had already, <laughs> he'd already shown them he can act like a president because mm. he was acting like a president in a TV show. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And he yeah. espouses all the values that he espouses. So he had an audience probably for a couple of years before he ever had to retell the same story publicly as himself. And they're going, ah, oh, yeah, makes sense. We've heard it. Yeah, he's a good guy. Like, there has to be an element there that, like, okay, so what could easily, ha- like, it's, it's a good thing in one respect, but in another respect, it shows you how easily uh, populations can be uh, passively manipulated in a way like I mean you look at Donald Trump mm-hmm. his election you look at the rise of the, the far right across Europe which is very very scary again the rise of racism and xenophobia and blaming minorities and blaming specific groups of people for all the ills and woes of a country 
people try to do it in this country as well like you know um yeah. to a lesser degree but how easy is it once you give people a platform um on tv or in media that they can just with name recognition go all the way to the top without right. the necessary skills or experience i think that's a bit scary as well it totally is and like i mean like the mad thing about say someone like trump is and like, it's interesting to use that word like uh, he he's acted like a president they've seen him do that like mm. that's attractive i think one of the obviously like the kind of hate that Donald Trump like espouses from like my point of view and anyone like who's even like centrist to liberal like yeah. is gonna find that like fairly disgusting but like what I think pe- what was the most confronting thing about it is like he doesn't people say have those opinions and beliefs mm. and they present them in like a presidential way mm-hmm. and they're way more acceptable but like he'll be just like yeah, yeah. like we'll, we'll yeah. Build the wall, like you know, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. not even like we're gonna create a you know a border between to stop the issue of immigration. We we course you like you know, and you'll frame yeah. it in this way where yeah. it sounds reasonable. We just like no, build no, a wall, build a wall, or like you know, yeah. we're gonna bomb Korea. Yeah, because just do it. Yeah, yeah, because I said so. Yeah, well, that, I mean, again, that probably shows the sort of flip side of like of of progressive liberal democracies, right? And like you know the 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 PC world we live in, which is fantastic. But the flip side of that is that 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 agenda has marginalized a lot of people who wouldn't consider themselves uh, in in America or in any other country, maybe wouldn't consider themselves to be racist or wouldn't consider themselves to be any number of things that they maybe are subconsciously or they maybe are a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but they don't consider themselves to be at all. They have maybe, a, this guy down the road took my job. He literally did. I used to have that job. He took it. He's undercut it. He's he's an illegal immigrant in America, and so that's if that's their only knowledge of that scenario, then of course their entire worldview is based around that. Right. Um, and if people then tell that person, no, you can't. That's not true. You can't think that. They're like, well, it it is. He's he's right. He's, he's living next door. Like this. Yeah. His name is Miguel. He's right. Miguel, come here and tell the people <laughs> you took my job. You know, yeah. like and I'm obviously simplifying this to ridiculousness. But yeah. um, if you then tell a person, no, I can't see him. You're making it up. It's all you're a racist. Like, no, I'm, no, I'm just it's my job. No, you're racist. And then if somebody like Trump comes along and says the same things on a national stage, they're like, yeah, I told you. Yeah, we're voting for this guy. And then all manner of horrible people roll right in behind that. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think that you have 50 percent of the American population are out and out insane sexist racist yes. lunatics they couldn't be you know what i mean no i totally but, agree but he 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 spoke to elements of their life experience that tells them something different from the common narrative mm-hmm. and that in their anecdotal experience is their worldview and if this guy is going to say it on the world stage and everybody else has told them they can't say that or they mm-hmm. can't think that because it happened to them um, then that's what's going to happen. All these people are going to explode and vote for this lunatic. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? I mean, it's not, the 50% of the American population are not the KKK. No. Do you know what I mean? No. So it's a case that he spoke to one tiny thing in everybody mm-hmm. that was bothering people, maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, now, that's not to say there isn't racism. Of course there is. There's racism, there's xenophobia, there's all sorts of horrible things in the United States of America, in Ireland, in every country. Mm-hmm. Um, but you give somebody... You tell people for long enough that they're they're wrong and they can't think about certain things in certain ways, then the backlash you get is the likes of Trump, yeah, and Brexit. Totally. Like, well, that's the thing. Like, it's it's almost embarrassing how simple we are sometimes. Like, and just like we're all just collecting data in our head and we're not even aware of it. And and then like it's like if you're a kid and you know you grow up in a house where, you know, you were like. 
like hit in a real like not okay way not yeah. even like a clip like yeah, you get yeah. from your mad you know what i mean but yeah, like yeah. you're hit like you're abused Proper, yeah. and like it brings you up to be like someone who hits and like yeah, yeah. is abusive like because yeah. that's the data you've seen like that's like well that's what we do to like mm-hmm. get by in the world like it's <laughs> it's so it can be so simple yeah you know yeah but that's it you do like because when you grow up with something or when something happens to you as a person you don't necessarily think about other other things you just carry that with you you know mm-hmm. what i mean as this is the worldview based on that experience you've had and uh, that's scary you know mm. i mean i'm very fortunate i've never had any major things like that happen to me in any regard that i've had to think about certain things or people in a certain way but i think if we're more uh, like the power of argument and debate and like let these people make their their views let them say crazy things and then combat it with logical reasoned informed debate mm. and go well you're wrong because of xyz and that's why you're wrong uh, as opposed to shouting uh, shouting at them going you can't say that you can't you'll never get to say that you they're going to say it to somebody and then eventually all those somebodies are going to vote for somebody like that and we're all going to get a big surprise when some lunatic rocks in and goes now i'm speaking for everybody you're going hang on a minute it's a bit late then to make your logical abc debate right. in a reason way because it's too late mm-hmm. so you need to talk to everybody day to day uh, um, and not make people feel stupid or make people feel bad, but just make reasoned, logical arguments to why what they maybe think mightn't be true or mightn't be right about immigrants or about the economy or about everything, really, you know? Yeah, completely. Right, we've got time for one more spin. Yay! Let's do it. All right, here we go. Question number three. Do you have it? I don't. Again, I don't have it. No worries. Number three. Uh, have you ever seen a ghost? Have I ever seen a ghost? I haven't ever seen a ghost, okay. right? And I'm quite... I'm a person who's tied between being... Half of me is very, very cynical. Um, I'd be agnostic and, and um, I generally don't believe in, in anything without like lots of proof and it's, it's real and tangible. Mm-hmm. And then half of me is like a spiritual hippie, right? Which makes <laughs> no bloody sense. Like I'll be an Asian, I'll be like lighting incense candles and getting blessings from monks. You know what I mean? I'm like total, I'm a complete contradiction in terms, right? Yeah. Um, but I do remember, um, I was going out with a girl, it's a long time ago, I can't even believe I'd forgotten this. Um, and she lived in like the countryside of Tipperary and her grandfather had died and uh, there was a funeral, all that kind of stuff. So maybe a week later, we were uh, down at his house, which was like this old country cottage style house near where her house was so we were down pulled in in the car i can't remember why we were in there but we were in there to get something or to do something so we got there opened the front door and inside the front door is like a chair an old wooden kitchen chair against the wall there's a door to your right a door to your left right it's a little tiny little hallway mm. open that door closed it behind us went into the doorway to the left we're in the kitcheny kind of area there's like a couple of chairs and an open fire area and uh in there Walked in and I kind of felt a bit just odd, right? Mm. Can't explain it. Felt a bit odd. Went in and went up the stairs, which were in that that room, uh, into like an old mezzanine kind of bedroom, which was his bedroom. Went in there to whatever she was getting from this wardrobe. I can't remember what it was. And literally walked in there, opened the door, and I got this chill in my back. Like, I mean, like hairs up on the back of my neck. Proper shudder, chill. And I just kind of remember my hands. I'm feeling the same feeling now, remembering it. Mm. And my hands started to tingle. And I held them out in front of me, like, like, like just straight looking at them. And then I went, closed them into fists. And I went, I want to go. I want to go now. I want to go. And the chill on my back just got more pronounced. 
and I was literally very afraid, uh, actually very afraid. And I said, I want to go. And she was like, what's wrong? Is that? I, I want to go now. Like, and I went down the stairs, got to the door. And when I got to the, the door to the little hallway, it was open. I had closed it. It was open. And then the chair that had been at the wall was outside against the front door, which is also open. And I was like, I, wait, who moved that? And I was like, come on, just get in the car, get in the car, put the chair back in. She's like, what's wrong? I was just lock the door, lock the door. She goes, I, was, I didn't leave the chair there got in the car and we drove away and I'll never forget that like, well obviously I did forget that until you brought it up yeah. but just remembering it is so vivid um, now so I didn't see a ghost yeah. but I had a weird experience Yeah, and I can't explain that um, but I've watched lots of different scientific shows about like um, uh, buildings and their chemical makeup and their, the makeup of a building uh, building's materials almost holding like photographic memory and holding energy memory of a room and that kind of stuff right. and given energy back now that i don't know if that's true it could have been a ghost might not have been yeah. maybe i just freaked out it's probably something from my own brain that i was like i don't want to go into a dead man's bedroom and then my brain created this whole anxiety thing but the chair was a weird the chair bit totally was yeah i couldn't answer that yeah like I, I i i at the moment i'm about to move out but my grandmother passed away in september right so i've been living in that house since then and like i totally think it's haunted really yeah yeah, yeah. it's mad isn't it but not not and not in a like not in a, a scary way all the time. Yeah, i yeah, feel yeah. very safe there yeah, yeah. but like I, i've seen a ghost there go away yeah yeah but how did that manifest itself well, i'll i'll tell i'll tell you how we yeah, yeah i'll tell you real quick right go on so um, now, there's a few important characteristics to this story. Okay. First of all, I was really hungover. Like, I, I'd been on a bender, <laughs> like, three days in the beer, yeah. which is something that I'd never done, but I was away, like, an award ceremony thing, and yeah. we'd won an award, we'd all go mad, so we were like, mad thing, yeah. come back, and basically, it was after my granddad had died, funny enough, and, um, so my granny was living there by herself she was like 90 so she couldn't like go up and down the stairs and like she was grand but like it was just to make sure if anything happened so mm, yeah. I'd do like two nights my brother would do two nights and my mum would do three nights okay. and we'd care for her yeah. so it was all real chills so, like I'd go over like eight in the evening like I'd make a cup of tea we'd watch like The Meaning of Life with Gay Byrne <laughs> uh, we'd have the chats <laughs> and um, then she'd be like right I'm good for bed like around 11ish yeah. and um, so I was like cool so she'd go in and she'd put herself into bed and basically once she was like tucked in and like she wasn't going like, to yeah. fall or anything um, I go in and I switch on this little baby monitor that we had there and then I go upstairs to, to my room. Um, now, earlier on uh, in that weekend, uh, I'd been on the phone to mam on Friday and she was like, look, I know you're going out, but are you okay to do the Sunday like you normally do? And I was like, yeah, no bother. And she was like, by the way, what room do you normally stay in? I was like, the back room. Mm. Um, and uh, like granny and granddad's old room. And she was like, yeah, do you know, like that's grand, but the, the front room actually, we got a new bed in because we're all staying there. It's actually a bit more comfy and it's a little bit warmer if you want to mm. try that. And I was like, grand, yeah, so I'll try the front room. So that night uh, I went up um, and yeah, over the course of the weekend as well, my phone had broken in all the drinking and madness of it. <laughs> so I had no phone this night. So it was a bit of an unusual night. So I don't really mess around on my phone, you know. So yeah. I go into the room and I leave my bag in the bed and I take my toothbrush out and I go over to the curtains and I close the curtains. And I go out and I brush my teeth and, you know, just real bog standard. I come back into the yeah. room, um, pop the bag off the bed, I flick off the light and I'm in this new room in this new bed without my phone and I'm just kind of lying there. Like normally be messing around on like Instagram or Facebook or whatever and then, you know, fall asleep. But... So I just turned on my side and was like, um, right, I may as well just go straight asleep. And uh, so I was trying to sleep and like, you know, just one of them nights where you're like, right, nothing is happening yeah, yeah. at all. I'm not even near sleep. And I was just like, fuck this. Like, this is just annoying. So like six, seven minutes lying asleep. And like, I opened my eyes and at the curtains that I just closed, there was a little girl and she ah, was stop. wearing like a white lace, like 
communion dress is yeah. what I would have identified at the time. Um, she's about like eight or nine years old, like uh, white pull up socks, like pulled up to kind of below her knee, but like real tight, and uh, wearing little black shoes. Um, and she was rustling the curtains with her fingers like yeah. this. So for the listeners listening, like with her kind of like index finger and a middle finger, and she was just rustling the curtains, and the curtains were moving. Like yeah. the curtains were definitely moving. And um, and but the thing about her was this is the bit that doesn't really well, you know, you could say none of it makes sense, but this is the bit that really <laughs> yeah. doesn't make sense was she was looking out the window, right. yet at the same time looking at me. That's weird. And she also didn't have eyes or a mouth. She had upside down black triangles, for her like two for her. Eyes scary and stuff. one for her mouth. Did you freak out, like? Yeah, so like I did, I did, but at the same time, I, I can't emphasize enough. Like it wasn't, it, like she was, like I didn't feel like she was menacing or like yeah, she yeah. was gonna like kill me or anything. I was just like, you, you're not meant to be here, and I didn't know you existed. Like, what the fuck is this? So like, I literally just seen it, like jumped out of bed, yeah. um, ran for the door. But the problem was, I'd never stayed in this room before. I didn't know where the door was, and I didn't have my phone to like flick a light on. I couldn't find the light switch, so I was like stuck in this door, like afraid to look yeah, over yeah. my shoulder back at the window to see was the girl still there. So I'm like clambering around the room, like do, 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 trying to find the. And I'm like, you need to calm down. Like this is only probably like four seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making it sound like a big ordeal. Like this was rapidly happening, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like eventually, like I just kind of systematically like just put my hands to the door, found the light, flicked it on, found the door, opened it, went straight out, left all my things in there and shut the door. Wow. And um, so then I just went into the room that I normally stayed in and like, I was terrified. I put every room in the like upstairs on um, and I sat there like just like literally like in a bad horror movie, like upright That's in the bed. Scary. Yeah, no phone to even past the time all my stuff was in that room yeah. I wasn't going to go in there like the house was pretty bare because no one had lived up there yeah. for a few years because the stairs were too much for granny and granny is there any part of you that thinks like I, I drank so much over three days that I had some sort of like hallucination totally that that is the total rational that's a rational thing yeah. but like but you, obviously you're you're emotionally you, you, you don't believe that you felt yeah. the presence like the way I've, I've rationalised it now is kind of like it doesn't matter even if it was a hallucination yeah, yeah. the fact that like I can hallucinate that vividly <laughs> and like and it wasn't just like I saw something it was it was the response within my body for days after like I, yeah. I couldn't stop shaking That's like my body was just show, so sure that I'd and, and I was like I'm yeah and I, was, and I wasn't even like dying hungover and it was like I wasn't like in bits it wasn't like to the point where like oh you nearly like, you, like yeah 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 yeah. you know it was like a hangover I didn't feel 100% like I, and like my body was shaking and then for the rest of the night just sitting up in that room like because my brain was on such high alert then I started like seeing like literal ghosts and like figures and stuff that weren't there like I know these weren't yeah, there yeah, yeah. these were hallucinations yeah, these yeah. were just my brain being on such high alert that like anything that was and happening moved was something yeah so this is a thing and yeah. then the, the little caveat that only happened so this is like two and a half years ago right yeah. since then my grandmother passed away in September so I move into the house and like felt good about it now I don't go into that room ever like I, I <laughs> lock that door I don't go in I don't interact with it and it's been a bit frustrating because my mom and my auntie have been like coming in and like clearing the stuff out of the house yeah. so sometimes they be coming in and they clear stuff out of that room and they wouldn't close the door which really bothers me so I come in and because like that it's a freezing cold Dance, room oh man this is, you're scaring me now yeah yeah and like it doesn't like it doesn't smell great like yeah. and the, the house smells like normal like maybe a little bit like old people yeah, house yeah. but like it's a normal a lovely house and um, I feel very safe there like most of the time and it's all fine so then one of the days I come home and the door's open and I go over and I'm about to cl- pull the door closed and hanging from the um, from the, the little like knob on the wardrobe yeah. is a white lace communion dress stop and it's the exact way I remember it like straight away I was like that's like it was in like plastic wrapping and I was like, what is going on? That's and so, mad. like, it turns out that 
my mom is the youngest and then her older sister both wore that as a set uh, 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 like passed me down like for yeah. their communions but it was bought at a second hand like right. communion dress shop so like the dress would have had some other owner at some point you know so that's been in the house like my mom's like you know in her mid to late 50s so like this dress was probably last worn like 50 years ago yeah, yeah, yeah. really and then before that like god knows when like my you know my auntie's like say 55 years ago right yeah and then um but it was there and i was just like that's what made it so weird because like i, I forgot that's, about that like just yeah, as a nice yeah. thing and then to see it there two and a half years later and just being like oh my god like that's the that, dress that's the dress that's um, scary it just kind of made it like it made what sounds like just a random thing that yeah, m- yeah. happened <clears> on, <throat> it just like added another layer of like reality to it and did you ever think of getting like a paranormally type person in to have a look at the room or no, you see I never really told my mum or anyone or my granny what happened because I yeah. didn't want like I didn't want I, I, I kind of I didn't want to freak anyone out and I also didn't want to like seem like a weirdo to yeah, be honest yeah, yeah. and I also kind of didn't want to know because in the minute after seeing that little girl the first place my brain went and this is terrible was like that was like did my mum die I, I thought like Jesus. my mum died and this is for some reason her like eight year old self has come back to me like what happened when she was eight and then and I didn't have a phone as well so I was like even if she did die I wouldn't like you wouldn't have known know. and then I had this other terrible thought that as uh, nonsense like this is terrible yeah, yeah. it's like like did my granddad do something to like a little girl or like is this little girl belong in the house like why is yeah, she yeah, here yeah. I was just rationalize like who is that because it was so real yeah your brain goes to weird places just the weirdest yeah, yeah, places in fear that's mad but um yeah. that's a great story though it is a good story I, yeah I, I was like I, I tweeted that the other day I was like I want like stand up comedy but for ghost stories like you know <laughs> what I mean like I'd totally go for that yeah yeah for an audience that are just leaving shaky with fear yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on board <laughs> great show oh man um, come here you've got some cool shows coming up uh, and all the social media stuff so I want to throw it over to you um, where people can find you yeah uh, cool yeah. Uh, best place to find me every Wednesday I, I co-produce a show in called Riff Raff Comedy which right. is currently in the Chelsea Drugstore that's every Wednesday at 8.30 and you can follow that online uh, at Riff Raff Comedy on Instagram or at Riff Raff Chelsea on Twitter mm. and me personally for all my comedy stuff upcoming including Edinburgh Fringe and shows around Dublin Cork and Galway um, you can get me on Instagram at Brian Galahad G-A-L-L-A-H-A-D and you can get me on Twitter at Brian Galahad as well so that'd be great and thanks for having me thanks so much for dinner Brian Galahad thanks for playing personally bingo you're welcome thank you So guys, that was the fantastic Brian Gallagher playing personality bing 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 bingo. Brian, if you're listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. I so appreciate it, and it was a real pleasure to sit down and get to know you that little bit better. Uh, guys, as I said, go and get your tickets for the Belly Button Girl. We are kicking off next week. It is so close. I'm so proud of this play. As I said, if you like this podcast, you're gonna like this play. Um, I love the venue we're in, the new theater. I love the team. It's Romana Testaseca, former guest of the show, uh, Ursula McGinn. Uh, oh. And Lenin on the set and the lights, respectively. It's a real wonderful team. Um, I promise the play is a great time. Um, it's very funny, but it's also um, heartfelt in moments and very vulnerable in moments. Um, and like this podcast, it's a uh, human. It's got a bit of all of that stuff that fascinates me. And uh, if you're listening, probably fascinates you. Um, also, guys, check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash personality bingo. As Blind Boy says, it's a model based off soundness. If you like this podcast, if this podcast has been sound in your life, be sound in our life and chip in a couple of euro. It makes the world of difference to us. And um, there's some cool 
rewards and uh, prizes there. Um, a huge thank you to Kismac, uh, who is our uh, first 100 euro patron. Um, and we're going to do like a Skype bingo ourselves because uh, that is the reward at that level. So um, if you want to play personally bingo yourself, you can do it that way. Um, so yeah, what a pleasure that's going to be. And um, other than that, guys, please come out and see the Belly Button Girl. Um, some real exciting news in just life, life um, coming in the next few weeks. And then the wonderful Copperface Jackson musical is coming back. Go check out a Bingo Loco show in your local area. And um, keep an eye out. I'm doing some stand-up dates around the city in the coming weeks and months too. So loads of good stuff happening. And as always, thank you so much for your support. Uh, tune in next week when, hey, the wonderful Juliet Crosby plays Personality Bingo with Tom Moran.